You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E and it is always much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by ESPN's Don Van Nata Jr. who wrote a terrific article on some of Dan Snyder's financial issues involving a $55 million line of credit that led to a lot of controversy. It led to a lot of issues. And it's partly why we are where we are with this whole situation. So stick around for that. We have a really good conversation about the article, but also how it impacts the sale of the franchise. Now, both Don and I both agree that this thing is going, this team is going to get sold. I don't think, you know, there's going to be a lot of speculation about it. There's going to be a lot of talk about this guy, that guy, or the other. Just know that I still think that when it's all said and done, that he sells this franchise. I know that's going to be a fear. I know that's something he's going to tell people that maybe he won't sell. But I think you have to stick with what you know. And what we know is there's a strong desire by the league to get him to sell. I think there's some financial reasons that are going to prompt this sale. And Don is going to get into all of that. So stay tuned for that. By the way, before I get to that, I'm going to talk for a couple minutes about a couple things, but involving the ownership situation. And I've warned you, I've told you, you need to be careful with what you're processing or how you're processing the news. Keep in mind, there's always an agenda by anybody who's who's leaking anything, stories that are getting out. You always have to question, why is this story getting out there right now? What is the motivation for somebody to get this out there now? Doesn't always make it fully accurate. For example, the Jeff Bezos being blocked, is he really blocked? Well, did are they is is that a guy that Snyder wants to sell to? I I think I have my doubts on that. However, I don't think that means he's out of the running by any means because I think the league would then certainly could get involved in that if they wanted to. I think there's going to be some financial reasons why that might make the most sense for the league and for Snyder to go that way if Bezos truly does make a bid and gets involved the way that people anticipate. If not, I still think it's going to be sold. So just keep that in mind. But again, always question the motives here because every time some of this stuff comes out, I hear from someone else like, well, that story is a lot wrong or it's mostly wrong or it's all wrong or whatever, or it's mostly right. There have been those times too. Just keep your head on a swivel and understand that there are motives and agendas behind all the stuff that's going to be coming out over the next month or so. Just keep that in mind. But again, we get into all of that. Now, a couple of things before I get to that point. Deron Payne put on the franchise tag. The expected move, we all knew that was going to happen. Been telling you that. I know others have said that. Other reporters have said that. Not a big surprise. They put the non-exclusive, which means other teams could negotiate with him if they wanted to. If they sign him, they'd have to give Washington compensation. Now, I know it says two first-round picks. 
Not a single team is going to give you two first round picks for Deron Payne. I don't know if you'll get a first round pick for Deron Payne. It depends on where the team is picking, of course. So I, you know, so they would work out compensation, but this team is definitely motivated to strike a deal. They have already opened negotiations. So I think, you know, that's one thing to watch. But again, I don't think that he's going to be traded. I do. I have talked to a team that said they were willing to offer a second round pick last year. I don't know if they do it again, but if they didn't take it last year, I don't know why they would take it this year. The other thing to keep in mind that this team needs to win. You don't just give up good players if they can help you win this year. And so I think Deron Payne can help you win this year. So unless it's a really good deal, I think they're going to do what they can to work it out. If you can't, if you don't think he's going to play, if you don't think he's going to, um, if he doesn't want to play on the tag, then I think you, then you could say, okay, if you really believe he's not going to, then that's when you make the trade. But guys always say that, and it'll be tough to pass up almost 19 million from Deron Payne. So there you go. That's one thing. Um, the other part is the staff, the offensive staff coming together now. Ken Zampezi has been switched from quarterbacks coach to a senior advisor offense uh, role on offense. Tavita Richardson comes on as the new quarterbacks coach. He was a quarterbacks coach at Stanford, played quarterback at Stanford, first job in the NFL, big first big hire by Eric Bieniemy. And then on defense, Brent, well, uh, let me stick on offense for a minute. They have not filled the receiver position coach yet. That was Drew Terrell's job. He's expected, I don't know that he's been named the pass game coordinator in Arizona, but that's the expected role he's going to have. Now, Revere was asked about this at the combine about Terrell leaving, and his comment was, well, he got offered this title and all that. They've prevented guys in the past from leaving for a job just for the the pass game, run game, whatever title. So I think if they really wanted to keep him, I do think they would have. However, he's out. He will be out in Arizona. They need to fill that job. They haven't filled it yet. On defense, and this is something I told you was going to happen too, Christian Garcia is now one of the three defensive backs coaches, Richard Rogers, and then Brent, Brent Visselmeyer is now the main guy in charge of the secondary, Richard Rogers, the number two. Um, so those two have been working with the secondary. They've had big roles within the secondary. I don't know that a lot's going to change, but I do did like Chris Harris's energy out there. And I do think that he did a nice job, but they all had roles. It wasn't like he was doing everything. Vesselmeyer was doing the nickels and the safety. That's going to be Christian Garcia's job now. Rogers has been working with the safeties for several years. So that's not going to change either. And then finally, they cut Bobby McCain the other day. My, I wouldn't even say it's a mild surprise because he, it's going to save him a few million dollars. Um, and then the other key factor here is that you have Cam Curl. They want to obviously sign to extension, but then you have Derek Forrest and Percy Butler. I think Butler is a, a, is a big factor in this sort of a move because he's the guy who can play that free safety role and also move up and cover inside like that. I still think they're going to want to find someone else who can play that Buffalo nickel role if Cam Curl is not available, but that's someone you can get in the draft and kind of develop that way um, and go from there. So then finally, they still have to, you know, I think um, a couple guys that you'd wonder about, Logan Thomas, Chase Ruye. I still think with Logan Thomas, Revere was pretty high on him today, or at least saying that he got back as a pass catcher. You know, they saw that him getting back to his old self toward the end of the season. I think the key for Thomas is that second year after the knee injury, how does that affect his blocking? Because I think 
I think there was some thought that did, was it, did it have an impact on his blocking as much because of the way he got hurt? So that's something that to watch this year um, if they if they wanted to make a move. But I think they're excited about what he could do in this offense, and they also like these other tight ends. So everybody talking about tight ends in the draft, they like this tight end group that they have. So I don't feel I don't they I have never sensed from them that they feel this need to go out and draft or get another tight end. They like the group they have. They like those young guys. They, that they have. So, and then the other guy that we're, that we're going to wait and see what they do with is Chase Rouye has a, a cap number of over 12 million. I don't sense anything immediate with him. And I think it's, you know, when you're coming off two injuries, like he's had, they're going to have to decide if, if he, um, if he can still play where his health is at, that's something they'll see over time. I think the other thing is Rouye is going to have to decide, do you, you know, how badly do you want to keep going after those kind of injuries? The one he had last year was really, really bad. So I think, and it took a lot out of him to get back. So then a guy in that specific guy in that situation always has to decide what's worth it to me. Anyway, that's it for me. Now, I want you to stay tuned and pay attention to what Don Van Nata has to say and go read that article because it was really good on ESPN.com. And there you go. Don Van Nata Jr., folks. Well, Don, first of all, I appreciate you joining me. I know it's a busy day for you. And, you know, I want to get into the specifics of the story. It's a great bombshell story that you had on ESPN.com about the $55 million loan. Um, but first of all, like, how... I, w- I always like to have people understand how this comes together for an investigative reporter, how a story like this comes together for you. Well, I reported in early November, John, uh, that the prosecutors in the Eastern District of Virginia were investigating the commanders for financial irregularities that right. emerged from the congressional hearings that occurred earlier in the year. And as soon as I reported that, I thought to myself, well, I want to know more about what they're looking into. So since November, uh, I've been digging to try to figure out uh, what else is there besides what we already know. And in the course of that, I was able to obtain something that for an investigative reporter is gold. Um, It's documents. It's actually the 61-page NFL arbitration petition that was filed in the summer of 2020 by Dan Snyder's three former partners. And it lays out these uh, pretty stunning uh, allegations of financial wrongdoing by Snyder uh, that the NFL uh, was considering briefly and then decided not to do anything about. And uh, it really was a roadmap for um, the falling out that occurred between Dan Snyder and his partners. And so that was really the the foundation for this story that we published today. And, you know, and and obviously, it's like I said, for people listening, go read the story because we're not going to get into all of it. And it's really good stuff in there. But the documents, like you said, is the key. So you, we're reading a lot of stories at times about sources said, sources said. This is based on the documents. It really is. It, it's nearly all uh, document based. And it's not just that petition. Uh, I also had hundreds of other pages that were provided to me, again, that are confidential uh, that the NFL never wanted uh, anyone to see these. Uh, Dan Snyder never wanted anyone to see these. And I don't think the partners did either. Uh, that lays out uh, back and forth communications between commanders, executives, Bank of America uh, officials uh, about this $55 million credit line, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But there's other allegations in there, John, as, uh, as I'm sure you know, that are kind of some of them are almost ridiculous that Dan Snyder allegedly paid himself four and a half million dollars 
just to have a logo, a team logo on the tail of his one private jet, which he called an advertising fee. And this, you know, infuriated his three former partners. They thought that that wasn't appropriate because how much advertising value you're going to get from a logo on the tail of a plane, you know, sitting in private uh, jetways uh, around the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the story really, though, mostly focuses on that $55 million right. credit line, which we can which we can obviously discuss and dissect. Right. And that's what I want you. Let's get into that now. And so what is the what um what do you feel like is the most important thing for people to know about that loan? Well, people have to understand that if uh, Dan Snyder wants to take out any debt uh, as the principal owner of the commanders, two things have to happen. Number one, according to the team bylaws, he needs to get permission from the board of directors. That has to be approved. And these three minority partners were three of the six members of the board of directors. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is he also has to get approval from the NFL. So when he took out this $55 million credit line, when Dan Snyder took it out from Bank of America, this occurred in December of 2018. According to his former partners, they didn't find out about it for 16 months. Right. They knew nothing about it. It was never brought to them to vote on as members of the team board of directors. They found out about it, John, in the fine print of a financial audit in April of 2020, it was literally a footnote. And so then they confronted Snyder to find out what it was all about, and he wasn't willing to tell them. It just so happens that that same month, in April of 2020, the partners also were not paid by Dan Snyder, they allege, the quarterly payment. So they have concerns at that point about cash flow, about what Snyder's doing. They start digging and find out, according to the arbitration petition, a whole bunch of other things that they claim Snyder was doing with their money. Remember, they're partners. They own 40% of the team. So team funds belong, 40% of those funds, including any debt, they're responsible for as, as the minority partners. And, and it literally led to the falling out uh, of the relationship between the minority partners uh, and Dan Snyder. But the other part of this is how the NFL handled it. So- right. In this 61-page arbitration petition that the partners filed on June 26, 2020, they lay out all of their allegations of financial wrongdoing to the NFL arbitrator. It's a man named Brad Karp, who's a longtime uh, lawyer who does work for the NFL. And they literally, on December 30th, 2020, the partners' lawyers asked Brad Karp to go to Bank of America with a summons and find out what documentation the team and Snyder ever sent to Bank of America to get that $55 million credit line approved because they had, and as part of the petition, uh, the arbitration petition documents, literally the bank was asking team officials over and over again for a board resolution, which is necessary to get this credit line. Just four days though, John, after the partner's lawyers asked the NFL arbitrator to go to Bank of America, get a summons, get to the bottom of this issue, uh, the arbitration is shut down. Jeff Pash, the NFL general counsel, proposes to the partner's lawyers, let's move this to mediation. We're not interested in getting to the bottom of this allegation about alleged bank fraud. Let's just sit the parties down and get the parties uh, to agree 
to a buyout for the three partners, which occurs uh, the following week. There's a two-day session via Zoom with Roger Goodell leading up the mediation for the NFL. Jeff Pash is there. Uh, Dan Snyder's uh, lawyers are there, as well as the partner's lawyers. And the partner's lawyers are pushing at that session, I'm told by sources, to the NFL saying, please look into this loan. Look, look into this $55 million credit line. Please do it. And I'm told that Goodell and Pash had no interest in that. They simply wanted this to be resolved. And uh, just in a matter of weeks, the partners sold their 40 percent uh, share of the team to Snyder for $875 million. And they were out and it was over or so they thought until so, the federal uh, prosecutors began looking into this. So two things. How there's two. This is two part. But how do you sneak through a $55 million loan? That's one. And why would the NFL not want to investigate this well that well how do you sneak through the the 55 million dollar credit line is a great question john and you know part of this is on the minority partners right i mean we have a a moment in our story that was in the arbitration petition where whereas robert rothman one of the uh limited partners confronts snyder saying we haven't had a board of directors meeting right. in years and, and Snyder allegedly tells him, what the F do I need a board meeting for? So, um, you know, part of it is the lack of due diligence on the part of the limited partners, um, you know, clearly here of, of why they were not looking more closely at how Snyder was spending money. Uh, they make it clear in the arbitration petition that they filed with the NFL that they had concerns about that. But your second question is, Really, the question that for me is still really confounding, and I wasn't really able to get a good answer from the NFL. Roger Goodell declined to talk with me for this right. story. Uh, Brian McCarthy, the spokesman for the NFL, gives a lengthy statement that's in our story, but he doesn't really address the question of why the NFL so quickly, as soon as the partners are asking the arbitrator to look into this bank loan, why so quickly in just a matter of four to five days, the arbitration is shut down, agreed to, by the way, by the limited partners, and then moved to mediation, and then they're out. So uh, I, I was not able to get a satisfactory uh, answer to that question. Uh, Brian McCarthy, to be fair to him, does say, look, all of the parties had very sophisticated lawyers and financial advisors that they relied upon. And I think reading between the lines of his statement, he's sort of saying, look, the minority partners agreed to this. Right. They agreed to the amount that they sold for. They don't have much more to complain about at this point. And then also some of that too is they wanted to sell. Those minority partners wanted to sell. And there was one of them, I think it was it um, Katzenbaum who eventually bought buys into the Falcons. So like if they had, if he had tried to allow that sale, sale to go through, that may have led to some of this discovery. That is a that's a great point, John. So Fred Smith, who uh, is co-founder of FedEx, a billionaire, one of Dan Snyder's minority partners, wanted to sell 10 percent of the team to Alan Kestenbaum in 2018. Snyder blocked it, according to the arbitration petition. We've reported this for the first time. And the reason Snyder blocked it is he said that Kestenbaum would not be acceptable to the rest of the NFL, that the NFL owners would never approve him. Now, the uh, limited partners allege in the petition that the reason Snyder did that is he didn't want there to be any due diligence of the books, right. you know, of the finances of the team that Kestenbaum would have asked for if he was going to buy 10% of the team at that point. And it turns out just a year later, Kestenbaum buys a portion of the Atlanta Falcons from owner Arthur Blank. 
and the NFL owners approve him with a great majority. So, uh, so yes, that's an, another piece of the story that's quite alarming and raises questions about why Snyder was blocking anyone else to come in as a limited partner at that point. The partners say in their petition that they believe it's because Snyder didn't want anybody to look under the hood of the finances of the commanders at that point. What would happen if he's accused of bank fraud? What happens? I mean, if he's not accused, but if he if something goes beyond this. Well, if that's really up to the prosecutors and the investigators, you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever come to that. I, I know they're aware of these allegations. Uh, I know that they're investigating them. They're looking into them. Uh, there have been subpoenas. The arbitration petition that I was able to obtain, I know, uh, has been subpoenaed uh, by the prosecutors uh, in the Eastern District of Virginia. So we'll just have to wait and see whether it comes to that, John. Uh, I, you know, I really don't know. I know they're also investigating uh, the whistleblowers' allegations. Uh, Jason Friedman, the former executive's allegations that there were two sets of books, that whole juicing issue, all of those other. Uh, things that came out la early last year are also uh, part of what uh, the prosecutors in Virginia are looking into. And then this also certainly over the years, there have been a lot of talk, whispers, whatever, about cash flow problems for Snyder. How much does this point to that? Well, that's one of the other uh, really striking things about the arbitration petition is that the partners believe that there were significant cash flow problems. Because why else would Dan Snyder need a $55 million credit line that he did not let his limited partners know about? Again, the allegation for me that's one of the most stunning allegations is that Snyder's got partners who own 40% of the team. And for 16 months, there's a loan on the books that they don't know about. Right. And, and, and there, you know, the language uh, of the arbitration petition is is quite striking. A lot of it is in my story that readers can read on ESPN.com of just how angry they were that they didn't know about it. And, and within a matter of weeks, John, there was a complete falling out between the partners and Snyder, primarily over the credit line, but also of other findings that the partners say they came up with when they really started investigating the books. And this cash flow issue that, that Snyder had cash flow problems um, is a clear uh, allegation that was made uh, as part of the NFL arbitration petition by the three former limited partners of Snyder. And that is, so like I said, that's something that, you know, for people on the beat have heard for a long time, especially, but it was always applied to free agency. Can they do? And like, I would always be told, like, it's not, don't look at the salary cap, look at the cash flow. And that's what the owner has. And so there are always questions there. But the the other thing is, I'm sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, uh, you know, you reminded me that one of the other things the partners say is they they claim that Snyder not only was using the team as they put it as his personal piggy bank, but they were claiming that he was using team funds to fund a very lavish lifestyle. Yeah. You know, his his yachts, his planes, uh, his worldwide travel, a whole bunch of cars. Uh, they they say that that was how he was financing that. Um, you know, Snyder's uh, primary asset, you know, is the commanders. Right. He was paying himself a $10 million annual salary. It comes out in the arbitration petition. And according to the partners, he was finding other ways to scoop up money like this, you know, quote, advertising fee, close quote, four and a half million dollars for the team logo to be on his private jet's tail uh, to, to finance that. That's the allegation. And, and again, to be really clear to your listeners, John, it, these are allegations that, right. particularly the bank fraud one, are quite serious that the NFL 
according to the partners uh, and according to the record, as, I, as I've seen it in the documents, had no interest in investigating. The other thing is, Don, the timing of this. It's April 2020. Within a month or two, we start to get the stuff about the name. And then within a couple months, we start to get all the other stuff. Doesn't feel like a coincidence. No, that's right. And the other uh, interesting timeline that, you know, that I lay out at the very end of the story, yes, I think yes. gotten a little bit overlooked, is this is also while Beth Wilkinson is doing her investigation right. on behalf of the NFL. She's in the home stretch of her investigation uh, at the same time in, in, in 2021. Um, and, you know, as, as we know, the NFL never released a full report. The NFL uh, only put out a summary of her findings uh, and, and claimed that she only gave them to, the, to them orally. Uh, and of course, there's lots of questions. A lot of former employees are very upset that there was never a written report. And so, again, it raises questions of why the NFL chose to do that at the same time they were choosing uh, to not look at all at any of the former partners' allegations of financial misconduct by Dan Snyder. So how does, and the one thing that people listening always want to know with Dan, how does this impact the sale? Because everything's going to, for them, it's going to come down to the sale. And there's a fear by some that I don't agree with, because I think he's going to sell, but like there's a fear that would he'd ever sell. This just feels like he almost has no choice. I'm in the same camp as you, John. I don't think Snyder has much of a choice. And I think part of what is driving that is debt. Um, it's not a coincidence that Bank of America is handling the sale. Right. Uh, I've heard that Snyder may be in debt uh, in the neighborhood of a billion dollars to Bank of America that will be taken off the top of whatever amount he ends up selling for. So uh, I know that there are some NFL owners and people around the league that fear that Snyder is just going through the motions and will not sell his beloved team that he, uh, you know, rooted for growing up and that he would he will never relinquish it to anybody. Uh, particularly Jeff Bezos, who, who he can't stand. And there's been some reporting about that in the last few days. But I, I agree with you. I think that uh, he's going to have to sell. But with, with that sale, because, you know, I'm, like I said, I do believe he's going to sell. And I think it's interesting that it's Bank of America and not maybe a boutique company like the Panthers or the Broncos used or whatever, and that he has a debt there. They like he. I think that debt to the NFL has to be paid back by 2028. But do you think they could? They would force him like, if, if the fear is he wouldn't sell. Could they just say you have no choice? Well, that's always been an option that the owners have had. Um, you know, they would need three fourths of uh, the owners to vote. So 24 owners would have to force right. a sale. Uh, that certainly was being talked about openly last fall when uh, shortly after we broke our story in October that Snyder was telling people he had dug up dirt on fellow owners right. and Roger Goodell and Jim Ursay, of course, came out at that owners meeting in New York uh, and, and said his very harsh comments uh, against Snyder. Um, I mean, that's quieted down somewhat. We're hearing a little bit more of it now just in the last few days um, in other reporting. Um, but that's certainly a possibility, John. That could happen. I don't think we're going to get there because I do believe, like you, that Snyder will sell the team. I think he has made peace with that, and he's just doing everything he can to get the highest number. And, and that's where, and that's where, and you know, as a reporter, I know this isn't something that you've been doing with, with all the reports coming out lately with Bezos. And I've heard all the same stuff that's been out there about Bezos and the blocking. Then you hear somebody else say that's not true. That's not true. 
What do you make of all of that? It's hard for me to really make a, a, a clear judgment on it, John, because I haven't been reporting right, that piece right. of it. But uh, the stories have certainly been all over the map. And, you know, stories have been contradicting each other. Um, certainly a big signal that Bezos made was hiring Allen and company right. to look into a sale. I mean, for me, that looks like, you know, a big move in the right direction. From what I've heard, though, that people who uh, are sort of on the edges uh, of the world that Snyder inhabits and people around the league, uh, if the number is high enough, you know, Snyder's going to take it. I mean, there I have heard from multiple sources that he's been disappointed uh, with the bids that have come in so far. And I think I think the highest one that I've seen reported is six point two billion. Um, though my understanding is the bids were in the five to six billion dollar range, but that's you know significantly less than the seven billion he's seeking. And remember, if my reporting is right that he owes about a billion dollars, that's going to come off the top. Right. And and you know it's funny because with that bid, like somebody had told me the other day, they had multiple bids over six. Someone else said nothing over six. So again, it's this is where. I always tell people, be careful with what you're, how you're processing it, because there's so much conflicting stuff. Then it's a matter of, well, what is it that you're buying? And, you know, and so there's a lot of pieces to it. Yeah. And that, and John, that's a great point. What are you buying and how much uh, due diligence is Snyder allowing? And then, you know, you have a cloud hanging over the franchise. You, you have, you know, you have this criminal investigation, but you also have Mary Jo White. Right. Uh, still conducting her investigation. It's not only about uh, alleged sexual misconduct, but it's also about financial improprieties. And I had a source tell me just this morning after our story dropped, uh, a source said that he believes that Mary Jo White actually may look into the issues that were raised in our story uh, about what the partners uh, have alleged, including this $55 million credit line. So uh, yeah, there there's certainly clouds hanging over the franchise. And then as you know, John, you know, all too well, whoever buys a team then still has the stadium issue. Right. Um, has to be somebody who is going to have uh, either the lobbying skill to get some public money for a new stadium built, either in Virginia, Maryland, or DC, or somebody like Bezos who can write a check for a new stadium. Right. And that's the other thing, too, with all this. And, the, and this is, again, completely separate. But if there's an obsession with Jeff Bezos, his name, with with all this. And I don't know if it's just the fan base of it's the NFL. They really want him in there. Do you get a sense of their desire to have Bezos be involved? And is that because, again, like whenever all these stories are coming out, you always question motives and agendas and wonder. But, you know, do, do you think that's the guy the NFL would like based on people you've talked to over the last few months? Yeah, I've heard mixed things, actually, to be frank about that. I mean, there's certainly uh, people that would love to have Bezos uh, in the club. Uh, you know, the owners call it the membership. Uh, it's probably the most exclusive club in the United States. Only 32 members. and You got to have the money to buy in. But you also have to have you have to also be allowed in by the other members. Right. And so there are some uh, owners, uh, executives, I think that would welcome Bezos. They love being, uh, I love the fact that Amazon is a partner, a new partner for the Thursday night football package. Then there's others, uh, you know, that are a little bit uh, wary of him. So there, there's a mix from what I've heard, uh, about Bezos, uh, becoming a new, uh, member of the club. And you know what, would you get a sense too? And I, I don't know if you have the sense, the timing of everything does, it still feels like we may be in the final month here and that's, you know, 
I think so, John. I think we're in the home stretch. I think we're in the final furlong of this for sure. Uh, you know, I know that there was uh, a deadline uh, for bids that has has come and gone. I believe it was last week. Uh, you know, Bezos making the move that he's now making. Um, certainly, he's been hanging back. I think that you know now that's clear. There was some reporting about that. I was hearing that um, the week before the Super Bowl. I was out in Phoenix and heard that that uh, you know he he could easily come in and. And if he's the highest bidder, um, he, he's likely going to be the guy. And and now he certainly is making moves uh, in that direction, despite some of the reporting going in the other in the other direction. But yeah, I think we're in the final month to two months. Uh, there's an owners meeting at the end of March. I don't know whether it'll get done by then, um, but uh, but certainly by I, I think the hope around the league. I know this is that there'll be a new owner before the new season. How much, too, do you think like they want him involved just to raise the value of it? And for da- I'm sorry, here's a question, Don. Here's I, okay. question. Yeah, I, I already I, I know where you're going. It's a good question. Actually, yeah. good evaluations, right? Yeah. Right. That's one part. And then the other part is if Bezos comes in and says six and a half billion, but the other offer, the top offer is six point two. Will the NFL tell Dan, you've got to take this, the Bezos offer? Could he really prevent him from getting it if he is indeed that high of the the highest bidder and by a good amount? Yeah, that that's a great question, John. I don't know the answer to it. I do know from talking to folks around the league that certainly the higher the number is, the better it is for everybody. Right. The valuations continue to skyrocket in the NFL. And we saw that with the Broncos sale. That set a record. The the sale of the commanders is going to set a new record. The higher it is, the brighter the smiles are going to be on all the owners' faces. So if there's a three or four hundred million dollar shortfall between Bezos's top bid and somebody else who Snyder insists on selling it to, you could have a mechanism potentially at an owners' meeting where the owners insist that Bezos get the team and, you know, grab your popcorn for that. If that happens. Absolutely. And then last thing too, and it's funny because this is not a massive part of it, but you also had the local revenue for the team from 2009 to 2020 and how much it had dropped. And it, to me, it's just an indication indication of where this franchise has fallen. Yeah. That's a great observation, uh, John. And it's why I put it in the story. It was very Mm. striking. It's one of the reasons why, the limited partners wanted out and why they suspected that Snyder had taken out the loan, uh, the credit line that they didn't know about um, to possibly make up this shortfall. It it went down. So the local money, the non NFL media rights money that the commanders made went down more than a third in 11 years. I think it was as low as $160 million in 2020. Another thing that the partners discovered and, you know, we're making the case to the NFL and the arbitration. This is showing that uh, Snyder is cash poor and is looking for other creative ways to line his pockets and to get more money into the team, like a $55 million credit line from Bank of America that uh, they didn't know about for 16 months. It's, it's quite amazing. It's great work, Don. And I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else that you say? People need to know this about this this story. And again, go read it because there's so much information in there. And it's as jarring to hear it. It's even more jarring to read it all and have it laid out. Yeah, I the one thing again, John, I just want to emphasize for your listeners, for me that was striking is just the timeline and how all this matched up. And the questions that are raised in my mind, and I think that the story raised about 
precisely what was motivating the NFL here and how they were handling Dan Snyder. You know, these allegations of financial misconduct in early 2021 were coming at the same time Beth Wilkinson is investigating very serious allegations of a toxic workplace culture and of sexual misconduct allegations by Snyder himself. And as we know, the NFL never released a report. They released just the $10 million fine that they leveled against the team. And they said that Snyder was going to step away from the team for a while. And his wife, Tanya, was going to take over uh, running the team. Um, the same time the NFL is doing that, which raised all these questions and created quite a bit of outrage, uh, they were doing nothing about very serious allegations of financial misconduct that had been laid out in writing in the 61-page NFL arbitration that I got a hold of uh, by limited partners, three of them, all of them billionaires, all laying out very, very specific allegations of financial misconduct by Snyder, and the NFL had no interest in investigating any of it. Don, I appreciate it. And I, I always tell people, one of the things I love about ESPN is our investigative team. You and Seth and Tisha, you guys are rock stars for me. So I, I love when I lo always love the work because I know what goes into it. So thank you very much. Thank you, John. It's very nice of you to say. It's always great to talk to you. Great to see you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Don for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Thursday night slash Friday morning, podcast and YouTube on Friday with uh, the Washington Post, Nikki Javala, as we talk a lot about what's going on and has gone on at the combine. We'll talk to you next time.